I know precepts are coming up, and Bhante Sujata mm. keeps uh, sending little messages back to us, like, push the precepts, push the precepts. <laughs> <laughs> and Todd and I keep, keep checking the list, and we're saying, there's a long list of people, you know, we've, we obviously have been pushing them properly, because a lot of people have signed up. So, but he still says, push the precepts. So I think the precepts, in a way, the precepts don't have to be pushed. The precepts are just something that we do. And, and almost all of us, whether we think of ourselves as Buddhist or not, uh, are living by precepts. You know, we, we haven't maybe put them down in a list, but, we're, but we all have uh, values and codes that we follow and that we live by. Uh, what we do when we take Buddhist precepts is we are just, um, we're just being more mindful of what those precepts and ethics are. That's not that we're, uh, that we're any different from anyone else. We just, uh, we'll say them out loud just as part of our mindfulness practice. And we should, it's a good thing, I shouldn't say should, it's a good thing to, uh, to say the precepts often, to be, to be really aware of the precepts and always looking at them a little bit deeper than just the words. Because it'd be pretty boring if we just had the simple words and then we put them away and uh, it was, that would be like a catechism or something that was meaningless to us. But what the precepts are is a part of our mindfulness practice and part of our training so what they do for us is give us a kind of bare-bones place to start in terms of deepening our lives to a richer experience. And then we can work with each one of the precepts the way it works in our lives and let the experiences in our lives deepen, allow us to deepen in each one. So it's never a kind of boring thing that we've done once and we don't have to think about it again. I think just like uh, if you're, not that I know anything about this, but if you're training for a marathon, uh, you, would, you would have uh, some goals that you want to reach and your goals would change as you became a more experienced runner. And you would start uh, also maybe seeing different ways you could take care of your body better as, a, as an athlete that might be different from what you thought in the beginning. So you're, you would always be working with your, your body, your instrument, and kind of fine-tuning it and uh, learning how to take better care of it. And I think that's what the precepts are, are, are for us. They're a way to be more nurturing to ourselves and to see the precept training as being nurturing instead of being restrictions or things that kind of limit us. And the one that always comes up in every conversation about the precepts, of course, is, you know, I don't know if I'm ready to give up a glass of beer or, or a glass of wine. I really, that's, it's inevitable that's the one. Nobody ever says, I, I don't know if I'm ready to give up killing things. <laughs> I really enjoy stealing, so I've got a, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with that one. <laughs> and the truth is, we probably kill more things and steal more things than we ever than we ever drink <laughs> would be my guess. 
So I think it's good to always, I mean, I'm always talking about this because I always think if someone denies themselves the opportunity to train in the precepts because it's such a wonderful mindfulness practice, um, it's really just denying yourself a really good opportunity to have a ready-made uh, a ready-made training program that doesn't require physical exercise. <laughs> I like those kind of things. <laughs> so um, I think what I one thing that Bhante Sujata and I both will tell people: if you if you still enjoy a glass of wine or a bottle of beer on a hot summer day. You can, you can deal with that precept one of a couple of ways. One, you just keep your mouth shut when that precept is being read. <laughs> and that's what a lot of people, I'm sure in this room, did when they took the precepts. And you just keep silent. So if there's a precept that you're uncomfortable with or you haven't, you know, you're not, you're, you're not quite sure how you even want to approach it, you, you, can, you can be silent. Because you say the pre when we do it in a group or when you do it alone, you can decide I, I'm ready to take four precepts, but I don't know about that last one. I'm you know I'm working on it. But when we talk about uh, with the eight lifetime precepts, you take three of those are about your speech, and I'm sure uh, the one that's about no uh, like no gossip. I'm sure most people will go ahead and take that precept, and I'm sure most of us still have, you know, there's a lot of wiggle room in that one. And, but that's, there's supposed to be all that wiggle room because we're taking the precept because we're, look, we want to look at that. Uh, most of us will use, speech is such a critical one, that's why there are so many more with the lifetime precepts. But when you're talking about no harsh speech, no malicious speech, <clears throat> No idle chatter, which includes gossip. Um, well, gossip could fit in with any of them, couldn't it? And no, and not telling an untruth. Uh, we're all working on that. We never take the precepts saying, never again will I do any of these things. Because these are the things all human beings are working on all the time. I mean, we all have room to grow and room to improve. Because what we're working to do is to is to just move forward in our lives to become, to reach that uh, capacity we have for training our minds, for expanding our minds, our mindfulness, uh, our compassion, our love. We're, what we're doing in this lifetime is working with this thing called our mind and our brain to, to expand it to its greatest potential. It's the one thing that we really can continue all of our lives to, to work on, to have grow, to become, uh, to, to reach a higher and higher potential. And that's what we call Buddha nature. So the, the precepts can be, I mean, to say that I'm never going to um, take a life, uh, I can I can work on that so more and more my intention is not to take a life but you know if I walk from here to my car I'm probably going to step on and kill a lot of living things and if I need to keep my house clean and I don't uh, I may not carry every spider out the door you know I may vacuum stuff up so uh, <laughs> And you know when we're eating things that are grown in a in a farm field, 
unless we're 100% organic, there are pesticides that have been used and things that have, that have killed a lot of different living organisms in the manufacture of our food. And uh, if we're not a, a vegan, and, and if we're not a vegan, we're also going to be eating things that would be considered living things. And when we eat, we eat very intentionally, but we don't have control over uh, a lot of what's done to create the world we live in today. So what this, this is always, the precepts are always to help us think with a more expansive view and, a, and a, to think with the attitude of, I'm, I'm working to uh, enlarge my capacity to, be, to have Buddha nature, to, to see my Buddha nature, to live the Buddha nature that's already part of me. So I'm, I'm trying to wake up to that Buddha nature. And the precepts are just always a good tool. So uh, when we talk about intoxicants and drugs and the precepts, we're saying we don't want to do anything to ourselves that causes us to become unmindful, to be less mindful, to be heedless. And uh, it's definitely we don't want to become drunk. We don't want to become uh, unaware of what we're doing in our behavior. We don't want to be uh, not responsible for what we say or our actions. But I think be, but backing away from that as a layperson, you know you have choices to make. And I don't think, the Buddha never wanted to tell people, I'm going to give you easy rules so you can quit making choices. <clears throat> that was, that was, I never heard that said. I, I have heard that said growing up in, in a very fundamentalist church. You know, I'm going to give you very easy rules so you know the minute you've stepped over the line. And that's not what we're doing here. It's the, the part that we're working with is our mind making that choice of when I've stepped over the line. And when, when I'm being less nurturing to myself <clears throat> as opposed to more nurturing. So if you've ever had a head hangover, that's not nurturing yourself, right? Um, if you've enjoyed a wonderful glass of wine and you've stopped when it's still a wonderful glass of wine and not uh, a problem, then, then that you can that can be nurturing yourself. Now I, I've taken different vows, so mine are more black and white in the sand. <laughs> There's so many of them; they have to get kind of absurd that way, right? But I think what we're what you want to look at all the time, and I and and I'm and even with my 311 rules, I'm always looking at any one of those, saying, does it does it work in this culture? Does it work with the reality of uh, uh, doing this in the 21st century? We are in the 21st century. We're in the 21st century. Does it work in this century, in this time, in this country? Uh, I, I can't follow all of the rules, and I can't be ridiculous about all of the rules because then I couldn't be doing what I'm doing. You know, it would, I, I would have to be living somewhere uh, and it, from Western eyes, sort of taken care of, you know, by other people. I couldn't drive a car, I couldn't do a lot of things that I think is important to do to be able to teach the Dhamma in this culture. 
So I even have to use a lot of what's right for me, what's what doesn't fit for this time, this world. So absolutely without question, the five precepts, the eight lifetime precepts, and the bodhisattva vows, you always are the one in charge of how you view those. And the way you know when you've stepped over the line for you is when is when you when you know it, when your mindfulness tells you, okay, that's that's over that's that's not good for me. If I uh, you know, it's I, I'm I'm not a vegetarian but it's I know it's not good for me when I start eating big slabs of meat all the time, you know. Not only is it not good for my health, but it's, it's starting to not feel right. So we make all of those decisions ourselves. What we eat, we, we eat what we know feels comfortable for us. We may need to be a vegan, we may need to be a vegetarian, we may have other relationships with food, but that's up to us to decide how that works into our precepts and our spiritual life. No one else can tell us that. Um, even talk of stealing things, taking what doesn't belong to us. Uh, we, a lot of us will have taken the precepts for many years and then realize, whoa, that stealing thing can mean, uh, someone in this group brought it up recently, that stealing things can mean maybe I was too much of a helicopter mom. Maybe I stole some independence from my children when they were little. Maybe I, maybe I took away from them some of their ability to be independent adults because I was a little overprotective or I was a little fearful or anxious for them. And then they, they can begin seeing maybe the way I parent has been kind of stealing a little bit, taking something that wasn't mine. Maybe I'm too uh, attached to my kids. And they're not mine, right? They're not who I am, they're not me. So uh, maybe that stuff that I thought was mine and I guarded very carefully, maybe I was taking something that didn't belong to me. So, so that takes a while, you know, we start expanding the way we're thinking. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't come just from, we're not, we're not being given five simple rules or eight a little bit harder rules or ten concepts and then they're all defined for us. Our process, our life, is about defining those concepts for ourselves. Um, so, if you're, if you're still drinking, and you can, <laughs> no. You, you can take the precepts and keep quiet if you're really uncomfortable with one and it doesn't fit, if you just can't do it. But you can also take that precept because the wording says, I am undertaking the training. I am, I am, I am beginning the training in this quality. And that training means I am seeing how I relate to it in my life. I am seeing how this training can make me grow and reach my capacity for, my brain capacity, my mental capacity. And that's what, that's what the Buddha's talking about when he talks about uh, waking up to our Buddha nature. Our true nature is that capacity we have for being mindful and thinking deeply and making our own decisions and seeing the world clearly, 
not needing to have uh, any delusions about the nature of the world. So I think the things, uh, we, can't, we can't live in the world with a ridiculous attitude. Uh, and I know even in the Buddhist time, the Jains would, would you know, not want to kill any insects. And uh, they had some rules that, that, the, that the Buddhists thought were a little bit, you know, you can't, can't live in <laughs> 2,500 years ago, uh, sweeping away any, any place and not taking a step if you thought you would accidentally kill uh, an insect. And, uh, you know, even the early nuns and monks, part of their gear was a strainer. And I always thought it was to strain out like, like big yucky things in the water when they drank out of the rivers and streams. But it was also to strain out anything living so you could, you know, but they didn't, I mean, microorganisms are, are very living and they weren't getting, they were getting through those strainers. So um, there, there's always been sort of an extreme for a lot of those rules. We don't strain, we don't have a, a water strainer when we become ordained. So we're not straining as much of the living things out of the water as, as we can. Uh, I think our, our water, city water probably kills most of any living thing <laughs> before it ever gets to us, but nobody's running down to a creek to get the water because it still has, you know, the living organisms haven't been killed. So any questions about that? Does that or does that resolve some questions for people? <laughs> Thank you. I just want to make one comment. I, I like what you said earlier about the precepts are meant for nurturing us and not restricting us. Because I think I, it took me a long time to, the first time to uh, take the precepts because of that. You know, what, what, what did this mean and you know, going through all this? And, and I like that way of putting it. You know, these are just basically things to nurture us and to take care of us. Not like instead of uh, restricting us and rules. Yes, um, I, I, w I went. I, thank you for saying that because I really think more and more we have to look at the things that we do, even even things that we think of as disciplining ourselves. It's it's really we're really nurturing ourselves. You know, when we eat food that that makes our body feel good instead of making our body feel sick, that's really nurturing ourselves. It it, it isn't uh, it isn't something that we're punishing ourselves with. At last weekend, I had the chance to be at a, a, a Sharon Salzberg retreat, and she's one of my kind of heroes, so it was really great to spend two days with her. And she's, she is the person who, I, I always forgot who the person was or didn't even know, but she's the person who, about nine years ago, when she was with a group of other teachers and therapists who had, who had an audience with the Dalai Lama, she asked the question, uh, of what, what about self-hatred and how can we, how can we help people, um, how do we get through to the self-hatred to be truly uh, loving to ourselves? And, and the Dalai Lama didn't understand the, what she was talking about. And he's, he, his translator couldn't, they couldn't figure out a translation for it. And she said, it, every Westerner, and it was a group of Westerners, he, he asked all of them, do you understand what she's t asking about this self-hatred concept? 
and every one of them said, absolutely, <laughs> personally and with our, with our students and with our clients. Of course, we're Westerners. We understand self-hatred very well. And he, he never could get it. He never could understand it. And they spent a lot of the time, she said, discussing having them explain to him what, what it was. And um, even his translator couldn't, they couldn't quite come up with a good translation. And so that as Westerners, I think that, that uh, we don't think a lot about nurturing ourselves. We don't think a lot about uh, things like precepts can nurture us that they're not, it's not a way to uh, test ourselves and prove how tough we are, but it's a way to take care of us and be loving to ourselves. So, I was passing a uh, church this morning. I've seen this sign, it's at the Salvation Army Church, and it says, uh, God didn't, God didn't want, I can't remember it now, I've seen it ten times. God didn't want, didn't, didn't teach confusion. He taught peace. Something like that. And I, and I kept, I kept, keep seeing that and thinking that's really good. And sometimes even something like taking the precepts, it shouldn't be confusing for us. It should be, it should bring peace. It should also be part of our wanting to become, uh, become peace. So. If it's confusing, then there's something that we're, it's, if it's confusing that we're not, then I think we're just not seeing it correctly or wisely. So. Uh huh. It helps in the way of thinking about the research. And the one about not having you know, any toxins, yeah, is a sticking point for me. I, you know, love class, but my wife and I sometimes kill a bottle on Friday night. And um, at first it was kind of a revulsion, and there was another piece of down the way about performance and music and things that's real revulsion. <laughs> but the more I look at them, on an audio file, I'm just, you know, musician. So, it, yeah. so, but the more I look at it, especially the fifth, fifth one about intoxication, the more it's not a problem for me even to say that I'm going to take the precept. Really means that what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that part of my life, which isn't out of control, the whole thing, but I'm going to take a real good look at it. And I'm going to keep looking at it. And I'm going to be open to whatever I find when I look. And whether that means I end up stopping drinking or I end up getting less or I end up, I'm not sure, that's good. And I would almost think, let's say I was someone had a big problem with that, even more perfect. It's okay to continue to be just as flawed as you are and take a precept to say, I'm going to look at this aspect of my life. So I was very comfortable with that at first because it sounded like, you know, yes, no, can't, sort of thing in my head. And now I'm kind of just the opposite. It's exactly why I should take that precept. That's wonderful. Thank you, Chris. I think there's about the wiggle room. There's a story. I don't know where it originated, but there were two months walking on, on the path and it, they were in a country where they were not allowed to touch women. So the two monks came to a stream and there was a woman there who said that the current was too strong and she couldn't walk through it to get to the other side. So the one monk just lifted her up and carried her across. 
and put her down on the other side. And then they went their separate ways, and the two monks walking, the other monks said, I cannot believe that you touched that woman. You know, and so they're walking along, the other monk didn't say anything. And for miles, this other monk said, I cannot believe that you touched that woman. <laughs> you know, and then they get about a couple miles away, and the monk that picked the woman up looked at the other monk and said, I can't believe you're still carrying that woman. <laughs> Yeah, that's a perfect story. Yeah, that's and and I think I, I really like what both of you said together. It's really <clears throat> you just said it perfectly. <clears throat> we're looking at something, and just the way when we sit with our meditation practice, we're just observing. We're just observing. We're just noting. <clears throat> we're not getting sidetracked, <coughs> or we are getting sidetracked, and we're observing that, and we're coming back. So we're just looking. Mm -hmm. One of the things that really drew me to Buddhism and and still does is, and it's been sort of a blessing cursory, but I'm just one of those people, I just can't just walk forward with that, you know, if I, if I don't get it. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. I mean, I, if I get something, I'll go right along, but if I don't, then... And I think the, the thing with, um, that I found with practicing is, in the teachings, there's room to think. Oh, thank you, Mary. Um, like this, it's like it's not just this and, and there, start walking. You know, um, it's like here's this, now think about it. And that's what mm -hmm. I really like about it, even with, I think with the precepts, is there's, I, don't, I, I think not only room to think, but I think that's, that's the purpose, like you were saying, is to think about it. Yes. And I like that. The Buddha said, ehipasiko, which is come and, come and investigate, come and look. So we, so we're, we're not told come and come and obey this. Um, we're told come and look, come and investigate for yourself. And and the things that need to fall away will fall away. And if they don't need to fall away, then they're they're okay. Yeah, Deidre. I really appreciate you sharing this thing because I've been coming for five years. I thought about taking precepts, and I never have. And it's funny that the alcohol is sticking point for a lot of us. Um, and what I think in my own life is, especially if you're married or your partner is not part of the practice or is interested in it. So I always felt like if I drew that line where this is the absolute and I won't do this, and I'm from the South, and that's called the teetotaler, you know? Mm -hmm. Right? You become a teetotaler. Oh, no, I don't do that. I never do that. I mean, in my relationship with my husband, a simple ritual we have is to have a glass of wine to sit outside, and that's a, it's not about the wine, it's about the ritual of bonding mm -hmm. with him together. And so I felt like if I lost that, then it would be hurtful to my relationship with him because that's something that we do together. So I don't want to say that I feel a little more freer mm -hmm. and I understand it a little bit more. And I've always been resistant. I wanted to do that, but I haven't because it felt so black and white. Yes, you know, you got to draw that line in the sand. Right. And it's in the, and, and it, it, can, it can't ever really be black and white. You know, it, it, there's, it's, there's always, that's, all, that's a good observation, just what you're saying. <clears throat> you know, that, that was a, that's, in this culture, that's a, uh, it's, a, it's different from a lot of Asian cultures. 
and so it's different around the world and you and you can keep observing and if it if it does become a problem an issue then you're the one you're the one observing that so i think um it's 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 very important that we don't do the black and white and we can talk about that music one i know that bothers you that's <laughs> there are some there are some uh um precepts that you take eight precepts that you take for one day and they do it in Sri Lanka it's a if there's one day that you wear white it may be a full moon day or a certain uh puja day and you wear wear all white and you take those eight precepts and that includes the one you take the same precepts that 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 a nun or a monk would take when they do their first ordination but you only you do it for one day and you kind of you know you're hanging around the temple and it's something families do and um but but a lay person would never have to take for their lives the one that you're talking about it's a good it's a good one to discuss because if you're taking the eight lifetime precepts and there's some confusion because sometimes uh people read the wrong eight but if you take the eight lifetime precepts they're the five that we that we take as the five and then there are three more added about speech just making that's how important our speech is that the lifetime precepts add harsh speech malicious speech and uh, uh gossip and idle chatter and i think the way they're written in the in the book that we use they throw in um drugs and alcohol along with right livelihood <laughs> so you're kind of squeezing a couple in there and again it's uh d- drugs and alcohol that make you heedless that make you you know lose your mindfulness so